Welcome to the Chris Collinsworth Podcast starring Richard Sherman. This is the PFF Network, and we have it all football-related. The NFL podcast reviewing and previewing all the games. The PFF forecast for our gambling friends out there and our two-for-one draft podcast updating all the college and draft news. And we're brought to you by our friends at DraftKings and their DraftKings sports app. Today, I am in a hotel room in Pittsburgh waiting to call my first ever Wednesday afternoon football game this week. And Richard's on his way to Arizona due to some COVID restrictions in Santa Clara. But Richard is finally back on the field and we get a chance to talk about his big win over the Rams, his 40th career interception, his outstanding defensive coordinator, Robert Sala, and why both of us play better when somebody is screaming at us. (laughs) Go figure. So let's get to it with King Richard. All right, Richard, here we go. It's a football player. We get to have a football conversation with you here. Fantastic. Right, right, right. How, how did it feel to play that first game? I felt good. You know, you know, I had to knock a little bit of the rust off, you know, get my, get my feel back. But um, I think I got it back pretty quick. You know, I was able to, to get back in my zone and maneuver the way I'm used to maneuvering. I guess you did. Got first quarter uh, interception. You got a nice uh, tackle for loss on the only time I saw that they sent you off the edge a little bit. And then, <laughs> then you had the two big plays in the and really in the fourth quarter that set up the game winning drive. They you got the push out of bounds on uh, on one of the receivers. Can't remember which one it was. And uh, then you got a tackle in that in that bunch too. So uh, that's a nice debut. Yeah, yeah, I had, I had a good time. I almost got a sack out of cover three, but, you know, Jared had to take one little step in front of the line. But, you know, other than that, it would have been a great day. You guys uh, sitting there in the NFC, which is now getting a little more interesting, and uh, we're getting a little closer every day to possibly having uh, this season expanded. And if that happens, an eighth playoff team. Uh, but you guys now still have a chance as you're coming down the stretch but then you got <laughs> yet another bit of news that you'll be heading off to the Arizona desert here. Tell us exactly what happened. Well, I don't, I don't really know what happened. Um, you know, they told us that we can't practice or play in, in Santa Clara anymore, so we have to go somewhere else to do our jobs. Um, so we, you know, at that point, you just let the team handle it. Logistically, I think we leave Wednesday or Thursday or something. And we're just going to, you know, you just kind of take it as it comes at this point. Yeah, Santa Clara, they don't they don't love football or maybe they do love football. They just everybody's yeah, they, jobs a little bit harder in Santa Clara County. Right. They don't seem to love anything. You know, I mean, it, it, <laughs> you get very little explanation, but, you know, it is we're in a pandemic. So trying to keep know. everybody safe. We got it. We, we understand right. it. You know, you know, it was it was great watching you guys play defense like that again, though. I mean, um, PFF's grade for Jared Goff on the day was 35.9. Basically, if he had dropped back and thrown it in the dirt, he would have had a better grade than what happened against your defense in that game. Um, I, give me a little bit of what you think went right for you guys on the defensive side. The Rams aren't a bad offense at all. No, they're not bad at all. You know, they're, they're well coached. They have a lot of talent. Um, big play receivers, uh, big time quarterback. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's about execution. You know, I think we our guys play with confidence, um, very sound in our scheme, trusted, unselfish. Um, Jimmy Ward, 
playing outside of his mind. You know, he's 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 honestly one of the one of the best safeties in football, uh, who, who never gets enough credit. Uh, in our scheme, he has to do everything. You know, he'll he'll guard their number one receiver, then guard their tight end, then blitz, then have to open field tackle. You know, and and usually he's the best at at all of them. Um, caused two forced fumbles yesterday, and and just has been incredibly consistent. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting game on a lot of fronts, but um, you guys were struggling a little bit on the offensive side uh, too. You get uh, Raheem Mostert back and playing running back, and he looked good. But I think your best running back might be Debo Samuel. Watching that game, that <laughs> there aren't people lining up to tackle that monster, are there? There, there aren't. There aren't. He, 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 you know, he enjoys it. You know, he runs hard. He, he has a good time. You know, it was his first game back. So, um, you know, there were some fatigue concerns, but, but he did fantastic. You know, he kept pushing it and, you know, it's kudos to Trim Williams. Trim Williams didn't have, he didn't practice in two weeks and literally came up Saturday, you know, did Saturday walkthrough and started an NFL football game and, and survived. You know, he, he battled through. So you go out there for pregame warm-up, and I, I assume you've been practicing for a couple of weeks, right? You've been at least doing something for a couple of weeks now. But that's a long time to be off. I mean, did you feel some butterflies? Did you feel a little human out there after not playing for so long? No, I didn't really feel any butterflies. It just, you know, the the, the awkwardness of, of just getting back into the groove of the warm-ups and and, you know, it's like, oh, man, I forgot about these drills. And, you know, just trying to make sure you you, you get your footwork where it wants to be. You know, you get your routine back together. Um, you know, kind of like in a preseason, you know, you're getting your getting your little routine back. Um, but but not not really butterflies this time. Um, you know, I understand what I got to go out there and do. And, you know, I was just locked in. I, uh, was that about as fast as you've run in a while when you were trying to run down the back who had the, the breakout run oh. in the game? I was like, come on, man. Go on with it, baby. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see that right. speed. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, I think they said I ran 21 miles an hour uh, trying to get him. I said, you know, I only got so many of those bullets in my gun. So, you know, when, once I use them, once I shoot them, don't expect them again for a while. <laughs> they look good. You were gaining on them, though. You were definitely gaining on them. <laughs> They, uh, at the end of the game, you were talking about Robert Sala. And, of course, now we have our first job opening for a head coaching vacancy in in, uh, in Detroit with Matt Patricia losing the job up there. Um, pretty strong stuff uh, by you out of Robert Sala. I know Robert pretty darn well, uh, too. Give me, give me why he should be a head coach coming up this time around. Well, I, it's just his, his genius level uh, understanding of this game, both offensively and defensively, um, how relatable he is with his players and how understanding. You know, not every coach is approachable, and I guess not every coach needs to be approachable. Not every coach needs to be personable and, and able to relate to players and, and have conversations and really motivate them to to push and, and push through adversity and, and really weather storms, you know, I, I don't think you'll ever run into a football team that doesn't go through some sort of storm throughout the season. He, he does a fantastic job of making sure that, that you both understand that you're in a storm and you understand the optimistic outlook that, that you, you will survive this storm and you will come out better for it. And I think, um, 
the creativity and, and the way he, he uses his players, I mean, it's like no other. That's why, you know, you see the Rams do really well against other teams and then he runs into the scheme and it, he really puts every single player in the best position to succeed. Um, he does a great job regardless of the pass rush. You know, last year, you know, we had an unbelievable pass rush with D and, and Bosa and, and all those guys. And this year, you know, we, we have guys that, that are still rushing the pass, but it's just not on the same level as it was. But you still see Kerry Hyder has seven and a half sacks. Um, and guys are getting after it. You know, guys are putting pressure. Goff got hit maybe six or seven times in a game, and he finds ways to manufacture the same things. And if you look at us statistically, I think pass defense, we're like second or third in the league. And, you know, last year you, you, you say, oh, you know, they're, they're only that high because of Bosa and D Ford, and they're getting all those sacks. And then this year it's like, what do you say? You know, it's, it's the scheme, it's the players, this guy's executing week in and week out. Came up with your uh, 40th interception of your career against 17 touchdown passes. That's uh, that's pretty good sounding numbers. Uh, just to put it in perspective, uh, Dion 53, uh, Champ 52, Rondé 47, I think was what it was. Um, but you're getting in, uh, in, in in there with some pretty quality people for your career. Uh, was this one a little bit special to hit 40? Yeah, yeah, it was it was really nice. You know, I, I'm 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 trying to trying to hunt those guys down because obviously those are the gold standard. I mean, you didn't even talk about Chuck. Chuck has like 63 or 64 or something like that. And you know, I you just you you look up to those guys, and you know, it's hard to get picks in this league. You know, they protect the quarterback differently, so you don't have quarterback throwing as many errant passes and and you know all the the chaos that used to go on back in the day. They they really restricted, but. Um, at the end of the day, you know, you have goals and I'm, I'm trying to find ways, new ways to find football and, and take it from my opponent. And, you know, they told me there's nobody in the Hall of Fame with less than 40. Um, and, you know, if that's my goal and that's what I'm trying to do, then I got to get over 40. You know, I, I would expect Revis to get in. So he'd be the first one to get in with less than 40. Um, you know, just like Terrell Davis was the first running back to get in with less than 10. Well, I, I would say, dang, then. If you got to 40, dang, there you go. You should be in. That's it. Dang. Uh, it, you know, it, it's funny getting ready for the game that we're doing now. We're, we're sitting here uh, on day number five now of the uh, what was supposed to be the Ravens and Steelers game on Thanksgiving night. So this is my second trip into Pittsburgh, and we're, uh, we're coming in. So we were sitting around the, the conference room table getting ready for what we thought was the game uh tomorrow night and we get word that it's pushed back another day that we're going to do wednesday night football now but no wait we're not we not even going to do wednesday night football we're going to do wednesday afternoon football uh because on wednesday night on nbc which i know you've already personally set your uh your personal recorder for this that show is the uh the lighting of the christmas tree at uh, rockefeller plaza so we will be the lead in that, that game will be on at lunchtime in uh, Arizona or wherever you happen to be on Wednesday, this particular day, this year just keeps getting a little bit stranger, but it is going to be six days now by the time they play that game, since it was supposed to be played as the great reshuffle that is 2020 continues. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where, where you, you guys are dealing with exactly what, what we have to deal with. And, you know, now you, you, you hear all this stuff about uh, um, 
Baltimore players not wanting to play the game and, and you know, they're going to boycott the game or et cetera, et cetera. You know, I mean, at some point the league's going to have to step in and make a decision if they keep pushing it. If they don't, if they try to push it again and they don't make a decision, at some point you have to have a winner or a loser. Um, and I think the way that, that thing is panned out, they're going to have to make a decision. Yeah, apparently there's some, some uh, boycott or something that you can do that might otherwise be illegal, but because if it's dealing with – with the safety of the workers that wildcat strike, I think it is what it's called. Um, and it's really interesting now because these players are starting to go, hey, wait a minute now. These aren't just like the knuckleheads that are going out and testing positive. This is this is a group of people that they're trying, right? They're, they're, they're all working at it. And uh, apparently Lamar was pretty upset when he learned that he had it because he had no idea how it happened. You know, he was really struggling with, with you know, how can this possibly be? I'm going through every single protocol, wearing every, the mask every single time, and I've got it? How did I get it? And so it's it's getting harder and harder as this thing continues to grow. But it's, 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 it's happening that way in the world, you know, and it's happened to many teams, you know, I mean, you saw what happened to the Broncos this week, and the NFL made them play. So that's why, you know, in, in, the, in the interest of fairness, you know, there, there isn't really a lot of empathy in our league right now. There isn't a lot of guys that are like, man, we feel so sorry for them. Like, you don't. You know, everybody has to deal with the same thing. So their strength and conditioning coach apparently is what, who was the lead culprit. And, you know, he, I'm sure he'll be reprimanded. I would, I would be surprised if he has a job next year. Um, because it led to this, you know, so one person's selfishness is, is a lot of times the culprit, you know, one person's selfishness, whether it's bringing somebody in town or, or going to, to, to gatherings or going to, to practices or, or whatever you, whatever your selfishness is, that's, that's what led to it, you know, and it's unfortunate because those players didn't do anything wrong. You know, Lamar didn't do anything wrong. Lamar is just going to work, going home, going to work, going home. But there were selfish people in the building who made the mistake. And when you have that, you know, it, 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 the, the team suffers. Football is an ultimate, ultimate team game. And so situations like this reveal, you know, it's like somebody has to be held accountable. I don't know if you saw any of the Denver game or not. I was trying to watch five different games at the same time. It's harder than I, I knew, too. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been home on a Sunday watching football. Uh, but, uh, I mean, in Denver, I think at one point, I don't know if it ended up this way or not, but I think they had one completion and two interceptions on the day. I mean, you know, you, you start thinking about an NFL team and playing against an NFL defense and having anything other than an NFL quarterback back there, you lose perspective on how tight those windows are and how impossible it is to try and complete just one pass in the game, a screen pass or anything. Right, right. I, I mean, you get these jails all the time, like, oh, this guy should have done this. This guy should have done that. Oh, he only threw for 250 yards. Or he threw an interception. He should have saw that guy. And it's like you, you almost want to give them a shot at it. You know, you almost want to put them under center and see them get abused and see them, you know, see every single person that criticizes and, and has criticism get abused and see what an NFL game is like so that they can just shut up and watch it and enjoy people who are greater athletes and greater, you know, individuals go out there and perform. You know, I, I, I think the social media age has really, has really revealed, you know, everybody's a critic. Everybody's an expert. Everybody, 
has an opinion, you know, and if you got out there and you had to do it, I felt terrible for the kid because he, he, he you know, no matter how hard you try, no matter you put in your best effort, if you don't get any practice reps, at least at it, there's very few things you'll be great at. It, it, did you ever play quarterback? Did you ever play any quarterback? No, zero. So I played quarterback in high school and through college, uh, or at least through my freshman year of college. And I, I, you try and describe it to people, what it's like standing in the pocket and how easy these guys make it look. I mean, really, they do. They make it look incredibly easy. But the first time I ever saw a football game from a press box, I was hurt, so they put me in a press box, and I'd, I'd never done that. I'd never seen that from that. And I'm like, huh. How can they not see that? Of course, that's a cover two. That's a cover three. That's a one lurk. That's a. But when you're down there, you go from three dimension to two dimension, or in my case, playing quarterback, one dimension. I was just looking at the <laughs> the defensive lineman coming after my butt. But you know, you you're supposed to be right. Somehow figuring out where the pass rush is and which way to slide and which way to step up. Is it a blitz? Is it not a blitz? Is it whatever? And meanwhile, watching the two safeties and understanding there could be a defensive tackle dropping out in a, in a zone read uh, kind of a, a situation, or they're sending four to one side and you got to throw hot to that side. And I hope that receiver, the amount of stuff that those guys can process. People always talk about when they're trying to evaluate quarterbacks coming out, oh, he's got the biggest arm, or he runs a 4-5, or, or he doesn't. I'm like, how fast is, can he process something? Let me get him in a room and ask him about 15 different questions or get him in there with my wife who has six different topics on the agenda before I can get to, to before I can answer 2B. She's on to 5C, you know, before I can figure that out. So how processing information within 2.5 seconds, to me, is what that job is really all about. Oh, 100%. And then processing it while taking abuse a lot of times. Like, you, even when you get the ball off sometimes, you can get the ball off and complain. You may still take a hit. So imagine processing, answering your questions, and then getting blindside punched, <laughs> getting punched in the chest or the ribs, and then stand up there and snap it and it may come from the blind side you may see it and still have to take the punch and throw it you know it's it's so much that goes into this that people don't understand we're getting ready for ben roethlisberger and of course he's coming off the uh elbow surgery and the whole thing and this is the guy that always was known for standing too long in the pocket you know he was he was the one that would stiff arm a defensive tackle and stand there and just they'd be all over him and he'd still complete the pass and you know three and a half four seconds whatever it might be he now leads the league in quickest time release 2.2 seconds on average 2.2 seconds this has been roethlisberger did you ever think you would ever see the day when Ben Roethlisberger was playing like a Kurt Warner or somebody in the National Football League, yeah, I, I did. You know, I think as the longer you play, you know, with with wisdom. I mean, age comes wisdom. You know, and he's he's starting to understand, process things faster. You know, maybe he was seeing things slower. It was taking longer to develop, and he just wanted the big play. When you get older, you're like, hey, I can just get this guy the ball quick, and he can make the yards. I don't have to always have to find him twenty yards deep. I don't have to hit him on a go route 30 yards, 40 yards down the field. I can hit him at 15 and let him run. I can hit him at five and let him get 11, you know, and I think he's starting to understand that.
But defenses know how to defend that kind of style too, don't they? You get up there in their face and you dis- disrupt the release and and throw off the timing of that first throw. But it, but it also is interesting that what happens to defenses is it's it doesn't come down to the guy against you or Jason Verrett or Ward or whoever. It's your fourth and fifth coverage person, whoever that might be, against their fourth and fifth receiver. And sometimes that's the mismatch that can get you beaten again. Right, right. Or or that's the matchup. Or it's the, the their worst lineman against your best rusher, you know, and is the case because pass rushing is is the great determiner sometimes. You know, sometimes you can never figure out how good or bad a secondary is because the D line never lets him get exposed. You know, anytime there's about to be a double move, the quarterback never feels like he has enough time, so he checks it down. You know, you can be getting beat all day or vice versa. You know, you can have a secondary that, that you know, there's not getting a bunch of pass rush and guys back there cooking cooking grits, cooking a meal. And I think at the end of the day, it does come down to, to understanding your weakest links, understanding your matchups, and then go, knowing where your help is. You know, I don't think many people are out there putting their third, fourth best cover guy with no help, you know, or, you know, they're not winning games. Yeah. We, we did a little uh, social justice um, podcast last week. Did you hear anything back on that one? I, I, I didn't hear I didn't hear a lot of criticism. You know, I haven't gotten a lot of criticism, good, bad, or indifferent about this. I don't know if it's because I'm in the season and people don't want to, you know, rattle my brain, but I've been looking for it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's – I think you've been, you've been fair. You know, I, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's the same thing as my job when you're in broadcasting – if you can back up what you're saying, you know what I mean? Like I've, I've had a few people get really, really mad <laughs> before. And I always tell them the same thing. Listen, okay, you want to punch me in the face, that that's fine. If you want to play this entire football season to pay for my medical bills, I don't care. Believe me, I'll heal. I, I've healed before. I'll heal again. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. But it, as long as you can go, listen, uh, let's go to the film room. I'll show you exactly what I saw. I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm just trying to give you an honest opinion. You know, whatever that honest opinion might be, that's what I'm trying to do. And I think we were trying to do that last week with with what we had to say on, you know, the social stuff. Right, right. I mean, I, I feel, I've always felt that way, you know, throughout my career. I feel like if this is the truth and I believe it and I'm convicted and I can back it up with evidence, I, I really don't care. I really don't care. You know, I, it's never going to be, I try not to be disrespectful. And even, you know, as I get older, you make sure that I'm not disrespecting it. You know, I'm keeping it about the game. You know, when you say, hey, this guy sucks, you know, it's just disrespectful because these are National Football League players. You know, nobody sucks. You know, could they have made mistakes throughout the game? Could they have made a bad play? Could they have slipped? And from being out there that there are a lot more circumstances than you can see on TV. You know, guys go through a whole lot. Just because guys are out there don't mean they're 100% healthy. Doesn't mean they're... They're mentally engaged or locked in. They don't have, you know, there's guys that go out there and people have died in their families. Their babies are sick. They haven't seen their families or, you know, or, or they got no sleep the night before because they had to take their wives to the hospital. Nobody feel so sorry for those guys. Nobody cares. You know, guys, Trent Williams, you know, if he would have had a bad game this week, nobody would have understood. He didn't practice for two weeks. He hasn't practiced football, put on pads in two weeks. And he went out there in the National Football League game against a really good D-line, and he held his own. But if he wouldn't have played well, nobody would have said, hey, man, look, he, he must have been tired because he didn't practice. 
He didn't practice. You cannot imagine anybody going out there without NFL practices and going out there and being a left tackle in this league. And so in that understanding, in that same breath, I don't judge people off just what I see. I say, hmm, was that a 13-play drive and he's on a 13th play of the drive? Is that why a corner sitting there tired and that receiver just came off the sideline? And maybe that's why the play looked so crazy. Because that receiver has had two plays off, three plays off, and his corner has been 13 plays and ran six go routes. Um, RG3 this week was telling us that about the year he had off of football and how most people know one way or another when they have that year off that like either you're finished and you're perfectly happy to go on and be an ordinary citizen and have football behind you for the rest of your life or you're not. You had a pretty long stretch that you were away from playing football here this season. What did you learn about yourself? Well, that I'm a football player. You know, at the end of the day, that's all I was focused on. You know, I didn't I didn't really let it creep into my mind. Like, oh, man, you might be done. You may be this. Like, if I can strap up the cleats and I can get out there and my legs still work and my arms still work and I can still catch the football, I feel like I, can get, I got a chance to go out there and make an impact. You know, I'm not, I, I, I've never pretended that my game's perfect or I'm the perfect guy and I'm the most athletic, I'm the fastest, I'm going to. But I think if I get out there, there aren't many better at finding a way to get the football than I am. And that's I, the way I treat it. I, I, I can assure you, you're not the fastest after watching Tyree kill this past weekend. <laughs> I, I That was unbelievable. Now, you, you you've been involved in a lot of football games. You've seen a lot of guys. Describe Tyreek Hill and what it's like to play against a guy that has that kind of speed. And is there anything now that you can do against them? I mean, the, I think the Buccaneers, if, if they didn't prove anything in this game, they proved that you really can't play single high man-to-man coverage all day against the Kansas City Chiefs. But maybe I'm wrong. You guys, you know, t- tell me your opinion of how you handle somebody like that. Well, I think I think you got to be creative in your scheme. I don't think you, you know, I think people people try to make it too simplistic, you know, in their understanding of it. You think, hey, well, you know, you can't play man-to-man, so you got to play zone. You can't play zone because you got to play man-to-man. It's like it's not that simple. Like sometimes there are man zones, there are zones, there are there are ways you double guys, there are ways you bracket guys, there are ways you contain. And then at the end of the day, you put pressure on the quarterback. You know, you talk to the pass rush. If, if he's running a double move, triple move, then your pass rush is doing something wrong. You know, I mean, if they're max protecting, if they're sending four guys on the route, there should be a couple one-on-ones on that D-line and somebody needs to win because they shouldn't have time to go double, triple move. If the quarterback gets to hitch twice and throw a bomb, that's on the pass rush. And if you're running single high, usually you're sending more at, at least five. So you at least have three one-on-ones that, that have to win. And so I think it comes down to team defense. It's team defense that gets those guys stopped. You know, you have to have a great pass rush, and then you have to you have to be smart. You know, you gotta, there's certain things you got to give up. You know, certain things you got to say, hey, they may have that, you know, but they're not going to get this. Um, and you make them walk the ball down the field. Um, if you had to play a Tyreek Hill, a Devontae Adams, a DK Metcalf, or DeAndre Hopkins, does it make a difference to you? Like, do you look at certain guys and go, 
uh, that's a bad matchup for me. So I got to do this. Or, or do you look at certain guys and just go, all right, that's a different style. I just got to play it like this. I'm more, I, I just got to adjust the style to the styles of guys. You know, they're all different in, in their strengths and weaknesses. They're all different in the way they approach the game, the, the way, you know, how dynamic they are. Um, they all present different issues. And so you just got to go in there with a plan, you know, and, and your plan has to revolve around stopping their offense and not the player. Um, I've yet to see an offensive player outside of A-Rod and Tom who calls their own play, you know, who goes out there and he, he gets to say, hey, I'm running this route and I get to make it up on the fly. So if I see the formation and I can understand the concepts, then I'm really not competing against the player. I'm competing against the scheme. I'm competing against the coordinator and how quickly I can diagnose the plays. If I sit there and I'm saying, hey, I got to stop this guy, then I'll have a long day. You know, we're not out there playing one-on-ones, you know, for an hour in National Football League. You're playing 11 on 11, so you have to play it that way. You uh, are soon to be a general manager in the National Football League whenever you decide you've had enough of this silly football stuff and going to put on a coat and tie and suffer like the rest of us through (laughs) an ordinary work day. Um, what would you tell Bruce Arians and Tom Brady at this point in the season where both have had success, both have had wins way above what uh, the ordinary guys would have had, and yet for some reason it's just not quite there. Sort of like Seattle's defense was earlier this year. It's just not quite there. Is there a reason for it? Yeah, because it's 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 a it's a testament to, to Bruce's system. You know, if you go back and look at just about every quarterback that's gone through that system, it takes a little bit of acclimation. You know, I think Ben may be, may have been the only one, and I don't think it was truly just the the system that it is now. But um, even Carson Palmer, Carson Palmer, when they first got together, you know, struggled through the first season and, and got acclimated. Now Tom's a Hall of Famer and one of the arguably the best football player and quarterback to ever play the game, but it's still a, a system that you have to acclimate to. You know, it's taking a lot more risk. It's taking a lot more shots. And Tom's used to just understanding and seeing the coverage, getting into the plays that he wants to get to, getting to the runs he wants to get to and adjusting on the fly. And I think you have to get back to, to a balance of that, a balance of, of, of calling Bruce's stuff and a balance of situations where, A, you let Tom be Tom Brady. You know, there's certain things that – certain qualities and certain controls that have made him special, just the same with, with Aaron and, and uh, LaFleur and, and Green Bay. You know, there, there, became, there came to a point where, where LaFleur has to, to step back and say, Aaron, go take it. Because there are certain things that make him special. If you limit him in, in his ability to do those things, you take away what makes him special. And so I think there there needs to be more of a balance um, for Bruce and Tom. It, it, it's unbelievable what a partnership this league has become between play callers and quarterbacks, uh, especially veteran quarterbacks in the league. I mean, we it's not that hard to tell when Ben is, uh, Roethlisberger has control of this offense now, right? You're not – you might see an RPO run, but you're not going to see many, many runs, period. You're going to see a lot of pass plays, a lot of quick throws that are coming out here. And I'm just not so sure that's not where the league is ultimately heading. Because as those guys get smarter, they they get the last look, right? They get the last look at the line of scrimmage and whatever crazy defense you guys are going to try and throw at them. And how can you be a better play caller than the person who gets the last look? 
Right. It's it's hard. And I think I think the better teams are are understand that. And that's both offensively and defensively. Because I think sometimes on the chalkboard things look better than they do on the field. And they make more sense, you know, from 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 the press box, like you said, it looks perfect. It's like, man, this this should be but from the field is the only look that matters. Honestly. If if he can't see the look that you're talking about, if he can't find the guy you're looking for, then it can't work. And so I think I think the more coaches are flexible and taking input from the players and saying, hey, this is the way I see the game, they're gonna have more success that way. You know, if if if, if Tom's saying, Hey, I'm having a hard time, you know, getting the ball down the field, I need to get back to doing this. And if Bruce is saying no to that, they're gonna get to a point where, you know, you're gonna run into to somebody better at, at doing this than them. All right, I'm going to let you get out of here, but I want to hear one crazy coach story. We all have crazy coaches throughout the course of our career, throughout the course of our lifetime. I, I know you, uh, you've had interesting relationships with coaches both in college and in the NFL at various phases uh, of your career. One great crazy coach story, and then you hit the highway. Crazy coach story. I, I don't know. You know, I we've had a lot of. I, I'd say not as crazy, but as my my high school football coach, my high school track and field coach. I mean, they weren't crazy, but I thought they were crazy. You know, because because they they saw something in me that I didn't want to see. I was a little punk kid, you know, in, in Compton. You know, I'm I'm, I'm lazy. I, I don't want to be here. I just kind of want to want to do the easy stuff in track. Like, hey, man, you know, I want to race a hundred. You know, and he has me running miles and you know and and he really stayed on me he's one of the reasons i am the way i am today because no matter how much i i, I moaned and, and complained and, and said man you don't make anybody else do this he stayed on me but he stayed patient like and he challenged me with my own ambition and that was that was what made him crazy you know like he wouldn't let me quit he wouldn't let me like he saw he saw what i am now before it was before I, I saw it, you know, he saw what I could be before I thought I could be it. And so I'd always do the work, but sometimes it would take some co coercing, like, Hey, we're going to sit here all day. We got, we got 10, 200s and you're at six. I don't care if you're throwing up, the rain just came down. Everybody else has already left. It's me and you. And we got four more 200s. And so throw up, wipe it off to the side and finish up. And like, that's how it went until I was a senior. And by that time, I'm pushing myself to the limit. I'm staying after I'm, I'm, I'm pushing to the next because I know what it takes to get there. But I thought he was insane. I thought he was insane because I'm like, man, this man will not leave me alone. Leave me alone. Let me fail. <laughs> like he refused. He refused to let me fail. So that's, that's my crazy coach. But he ended up being a blessing. I, I've got to admit that I was better when coaches screamed at me. I really, I hate to admit that, but it was the absolute truth from high school to college to the NFL that for some reason, I don't know why it was, if the coach chewed my ass like you cannot believe, I played better. And I am embarrassed by that fact, but it is a fact. Why? Why? I, That's great football. Well, I, I hate to admit that that I couldn't generate it out of myself. You know what I mean? That I couldn't get myself to that level. It took somebody humiliating me in front of my teammates or embarrassing me to get that out of me. 
but it's not always that. Like, it wasn't every day they got to yell at you, but it's some days where it's like, like, you know, you need a little boost. Yeah, I could use a little boost in Pittsburgh today. It's been six days sitting here on this game is all I know. My man, I appreciate you. Congratulations. Honest to goodness, you played great. It was great seeing you back out there again and uh, rolling all the way to the playoffs now, right? I appreciate it. That's what we're, that's what we're going for. We're going to go out and, and until they won't let us fight anymore or, or they kick us out of Arizona and we got to find somewhere else to play. You know, that's that's where we're at. There you go. Well, you're always welcome in Longbow Key. Come down and see us, man. I appreciate it. Well, it's not March, but we've got madness just about everywhere, and that includes the hardwood. College basketball is back, and we've got NFL football just about any day or night of the week. So you want to make sure that you get DraftKings Sportsbook app to take advantage of all the great offers and enjoy all the sports right from the comfort of your own home. Promo code PFF, that's right, promo code PFF, as you set up for a bunch of good stuff this week. I'm in lovely Pennsylvania getting ready for the Steelers and Ravens and with sports betting legalized here, I'm guessing my guy George is just a little jealous. Yeah, I am a little jealous that I'm not in Pittsburgh gambling to my heart's content, going to watch a great football game, but I also made a comment about the Pittsburgh Steelers being overrated, so maybe it's a good thing that uh, I'm here safely in Cincinnati just a short drive from Indiana. So if I need to go use the DraftKings Sportsbook app, I can. Um, They've got a couple of cool things going on this week. Baylor and Gonzaga are playing in a college hoops matchup this weekend. And if you sign up and um, to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, you can win $100 by betting on either side. And that can get you started. Nice little bankroll heading into Sunday. Plus using promo code PFF gets you up to a $1,000 signup bonus. So you can go enjoy all the different things that the DraftKings Sportsbook app has. It's got live betting, which I like to use. They have a ton of really good odds boosts. Um, and it's as easy to withdraw money as it is to deposit. So go download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code PFF. Get yourself a up to $1,000 bonus uh, when you sign up. Plus, you can win $100 by betting $100, anywhere between $1 and $100 on either Gonzaga or Baylor this weekend. Uh, It's for a limited time only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first-time deposit. Deposit bonus requires a 25-time playthrough. Restrictions apply. DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800- gambler or in indiana 1-800-9 with it now chris is getting ready to call the game so i'm going to take it upon myself to give you a couple of things that i like and i'm just going to guess that chris feels the same way since i'm pretty convincing i'm looking ahead to monday monday night football buffalo and san francisco right now the niners playing in arizona okay Kyle Shanahan knows how to handle adversity. The Niners are an underdog, a two and a half point underdog. So here's the thing that I like to do. When you see two and a half, you can do what's called a teaser. And you can, it basically allows you to parlay that game and another game and change the spreads by six points in your favor. So San Francisco would go from a two and a half point underdog to an eight and a half point underdog. And you pick one other game to do that with. Let's just say the Arizona Cardinals, for example, who are a three-point underdog uh, against the Rams at home the day before. And you can change that all the way to nine. That's what you call a teaser. And then if both those bets hit, you win the bet. 
And when you tease through some key numbers like three and seven, which you would do with the 49ers because you go from two and a half all the way to eight and a half, um, that is a really good idea because games often end in three or seven. So the Niners don't have to win that game. They don't even have to lose in a close game as long as they keep it within eight and a half points. They are golden. And you saw that last night with the Seahawks or two nights ago with the Seahawks. They were six and a half point favorites. But if you tease them, uh, you would have gotten them down to a half point and they ended up winning by six. So it kind of mattered. Anyways, that is uh, what I had for you this week. Obviously, Chris and I will at some point be back in the studio. You can go check out all the good stuff that PFF has, the PFF forecast, the PFF daily betting podcast, where we'll talk about all the games in great detail from a betting standpoint. 